0: This podcast is a Bendy Gedig Media production. Hello, I'm Michael Sheen and you are listening to a Touchline Rant podcast. Hello, this is episode 131 of a Touchline Rant podcast still in isolation this week. I won't keep you long in this intro, because there is a, it's a bumper edition. Um, this week, Mitch asked our listeners to tell him their fondest football memories, and he lists all his favourites. Um, we're going to start things off with that, because it's a lovely little section. Uh, then I discuss football transfer rumours, in particular Harry Kane to Manchester United. Um, we then have Jordan Lloyd, CSKA Sophia Gardens captain, Disc- uh, reviewing The Damned United with a former guest on this very podcast, Mr. Michael Sheen. Um, we then have a special guest, uh, Reese from Heavy Mental Podcast, which is another podcast on, uh, that's produced by our producers, Bendy Geddig Media. And Alex brings the next installment in Football Apocalypto, where he discusses football clubs furloughing their staff. Uh, Really hope you enjoy. Don't forget to follow us on social media at A Touchline Rant, everywhere you get your media socially. And once again, thank you very much to our producers, Bendy Getting Media, for helping us continue to put these shows out despite the current lockdown. Uh, I'll leave it there. Music.
1: Listeners, it's Mitch here um, this week I'm going to be talking about something which I, uh, I think will hopefully bring a bit of positivity to the current situation at the moment. Um, I'm going to be talking about happiest football memories and when I thought that this might be something worth exploring uh, I was maybe going to talk about it for uh, a few minutes myself and and possibly read out uh, a couple of memories here for um four or five minutes and I have to say uh, I put the the tweet out a few days ago just to see um, what some of your happiest football memories are, and the response has been absolutely incredible um, i 've been inundated with with comments and um, with replies with with people. Uh, providing their memories both old and a bit new of watching football of playing football of connecting with family members over football and it's been amazing to read some of them so uh, I'm going to read out as many as I can. Uh, apologies if I don't get to read out yours but but um, I'll do my best to read out as many as I can uh, and just intersect those with a few comments myself but um, yeah for me just to start this um, segment Uh, football for me um, brings back a lot of memories of of my my grandmother who um, I'm actually Welsh myself but um, a lot of people often ask me why I support Nottingham Forest and my nan is the reason for that she was from Nottingham and she was such a big fan and an avid supporter that she followed Forest not just across Uh, the country but to many other countries as well and she went to um so many european games home and away during the glory years when we won back-to-back european cups in the late 70s and there's a great photo of her uh, which i'll have to try and dig out and perhaps tweet out of her with the european cup and uh, she was um well known by a lot of the forest administration staff and and um and so on and then um, she used to take me and my cousin to the games and because she was so well known she used to get us uh, not just tickets but but tours of we had tours of the ground uh, I had a meal um, as a young child with Brian Clough Roy Keane Teddy Sheringham Stuart Pearce Des Walker Steve Stone um, wonderful players um, uh, that went on to do to g- do great things and and also were, were key parts of um, the later era of Clough's reign and it, I guess that was I was so young it was kind of lost on me um, I was almost at the table kind of saying to Stuart Pierce to pass the salt and I was only a couple of um, you know seats down from from Brian Clough and and spoke to him and I think now I'd be absolutely starstruck but it's one of those when you're a kid and there's that kind of perhaps not the realization of, of what you're doing and what you're experiencing. Um and it, it's it's almost a blurred memory but it's it's still there. Um and it, it was a very early football memory. Um she took us to Wembley for the um Littlewoods Cup final to watch Forrest um, get beat 1-0 by Man United but um so many other memories. Um uh Van Hoydog scoring a hat trick for us against Charlton in a five two win you know amazing really amazing time um winning 2-0 at southampton in the premier league when we just come up was was a was a highlight as well i think john-claude Dashville scored one of the goals just a brilliant away day as well so many memories of watching football and i could i could give so many more um, examples but um it wasn't just the games it was it was sort of connecting with my nan and my cousin and um, Getting the train to games because every game was like an away game because we lived in Cardiff, and um, and the whole train journey in the morning. I remember a game we went to the FA Cup, uh, an FA Cup tie where we were playing Oxford, and we got all the way there, and um, and it, we found out when we got there that that it had been, been called off because of snow, but it was still just something that sticks in your mind the whole day, and it was something about not just the match but the whole build-up, getting on the train early you know you know reading match or shoot magazine and you know getting your sweets on the train and you 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 know your drink and all that and it was great um but yeah just um i think those are just just a, a couple that i wanted to mention and, uh, my dear nan who's no longer with us um is responsible for getting football in my blood and, and getting forest in my blood because once it's there as 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 anyone listening to this will say you, you can't change it you know i'm from welsh very proud of being welsh follow the welsh team you know was there all the games in the european championships a couple of years ago um and but uh, more than a couple of years ago now four years ago well but but you know um once forest was in the blood it was always going to be forest Uh, and i'm sure you guys listening will probably got many examples of that those type of experiences too and and so on so Um, Without any further ado, um, that brings me to just some of the responses I've had from people over the last um, 48 hours or so when I put the message out there. Um, And I'm going to read out as many as I can. Uh, So um, I'll start off with, um, I think it was a message from Steve Day. um, And he said, at Steve Day writing, so many memories... Uh, the school playground sessions with those soft mini footballs has to be in the main run, one. The girls ruthlessly getting clattered if they dared to walk across the pitch at any point, the pitch being the entire length and breadth of the playground. I remember the, those mini soft footballs well. Um, played many an indoor game um, in my lounge with um, makeshift goals with those mini soft footballs as well. Um, and yeah, the, the, the pitchers came in all kinds of shapes and sizes didn't they um bobby dazzler or i am rob sadler on twitter he said playing football in the morning having a fry up then collecting the junior bluebird vouchers out the echo for a city game that's cardiff city for those wondering four pound was entry a program and one pound for sweets um yeah if only we could enjoy those prices again um and yes yeah, that's the thing isn't it it's, it's about the whole day isn't it it's not just when you go to watch a football match Particularly those early memories when it was just about football, and maybe uh, when you're younger you don't have the you don't have care responsibilities or anything then perhaps you're just thinking about the game and the build up and it becomes like I said when I was talking about my experiences the whole day what you do before, what you do after um fry up in the morning yeah definitely um and then we had uh just looking at a couple of other responses here um I had a, a was sent um an interesting story by uh, at griff talks balls Griff who um, used to um, do the sports show on radio cardiff um sent uh, a, just a really great um, story which i've i 've retweeted out about um a um, uh, trips to football by his uh, uh five side work team and i think um i love to comment in there. About um, the I think it was a Chester striker, Steve Hoy, who described as a, a part ten percent Emil Heskey and ninety percent weeping willow tree. Uh, but yeah, um, that was a game they went when they went to watch um, Chester in the in drawn away to Aston Villa in the league cap, and they went wearing their team shirts and um, yeah, and there's a photo of them as well. But um, yeah, great. Um, Great story that, which I've I've tweeted out. Um, at Sperry speaks Martin Sperry. He said, "Getting the Gosport ferry to Fratton Park to watch Pompey in the old Division One. He's not a Pompey fan. He said, but it was my first intro to live football, and always loved the atmosphere from the journey to the game, Berger van, walk to the stadium, etc. I love the idea of getting a ferry to the game. Love that. And again, yes, yeah, about the travel. What did you do either side of it?" Or you know the memories of the you know smell of the burger van and you know the things you pass on the way to the stadium. You know for me it was walking past the Trent on your left and walking past the the um, you know the club one at the club shop and um, then you start to get the smell of those burger vans, the program setters shouting out as well. Just um, brilliant times. Uh, at Benjamin James twenty seven Ben James on Twitter said soccer schools during the summer holidays mini bus rides for, for away games against schools seemingly miles away. Um, yeah, um, for those who played school football, um, those bus rides were always great, especially if you were, were actually having to finish school a bit earlier to make the game, which I loved because you know it was a chance to get out of out of final period, out of final lesson, wasn't it? So that was great. Um, soccer schools. Um, yeah, I didn't do too many soccer schools, but I did a couple. I remember one in Cardiff. It was advertised quite heavily as a Dwight York um, soccer school that he'd be there. And um, I remember it was I was really quite young, and I I, I went along thinking, oh, you know, really going to have an opportunity to see Dwight York in action. And um, and actually, in the end, Dwight York I think was there for one day. For I know he was there for one day for about half an hour and I know there's probably a few listening that might remember this if you're in Cardiff I think he was in there for about half an hour and answered a few questions and then then went um but and if you'd have told me that before I'd be like oh you know disappointing but actually the whole week was amazing and um uh and um inspired me to do a few more soccer schools and uh met some some great people who I ended up playing football with for for many years for and against um with and against and um yeah And it was great. They were brilliant. I love soccer schools. And for a parent, they're wonderful because, you know, it's like um, free childcare. Um, Yeah, so uh, that was, um, yeah, that was a great one Uh, from Ben. uh, Jordan Lloyd, uh, friend of the show, regular contributor now. They said, after school down the park for hours and hours every single night, anything with CSK, who's the team I played with Jordan for, Um, Barcelona to watch Espanyol away with Wolves 4-0 up, um, which he went to recently. Um, Watching City and Chelsea go out the cup in the hot tub at yours, he says. (laughs) Um, Too many to name. Um, Yeah, great. um, Yeah, some great recent memories as a Wolves fan. And um, yeah, and uh, enjoyed a few drinks watching some of those footy with Jordan over the years. Um, Some really, really... um, Great ones from a range of fans here. Um, uh, what have we got here? Just have a look. Uh, Mook, at Mukabala Mook 17 and his name is Raj Devendravan. Uh hope I pronounced that right, Raj. Um, uh, he says, best two memories of my dad surround football. He took me to my first game, Arsenal v Leicester, at Highbury, and tried to take me to see the parade after Arsenal, Arsenal's first double. We were just too late, but knowing we were there, known where we were ace um yeah must have been a great time to be an arsenal fan and i'm <laughs> shame you guys can't make the parade but um but yeah still very very fond um very fond memories uh, at gareth um at gt18 gareth says honestly for me more recently it's been women's football generally love going to watch man united women home and away going back further my happiest memory is with my dad Going to see Oldham versus Everton in the 2013 FA Cup. Late Matt, Matt Smith equaliser took it to a replay. Um, Matt Smith, definitely a, a one who ra- rises to the occasion with the Cup. And um, great to see some more recent memories. Obviously, the women's game getting, getting far greater profile these days than it ever did um, before. And um, great to see. And um, yeah, good to see some memories of that um, recent and a bit further down the road from Gareth there. Uh, Few more just um looking at the list here. What have we got? Um <laughs> had one from uh uh At Kadiba Ponytail or an At Kadiba's ponytail. Uh he said I'll just leave this this here. What followed? Obviously, I take it he's a spurs fan. Um his bio suggests he is, and it's just a picture of Ajax to Tottenham two in the 93rd minute um shortly before the ball travels forward. To Lorente, and then he flicks the ball onto Lucas Mora, and Moura scores a hat trick, and the rest is history. The Gormisaurus himself, uh, Darren or at Peter Moore on Twitter, um, has sent uh, a few responses um, of his memories as a Chelsea fan. And uh, So I'll just read out a few of those. He says, Go and see the, the game with dad as a kid. Didn't see him much because he worked all hours, but that was our time. Seeing him passionate about something and getting fixed myself watching the crowd more than the game, talking about tactics on the way home. Yeah, love that connection with family members as well. He sent some some great um, photos and memorabilia of him and his dad going to Sweden for the um, Cup when it's Cup final. Uh, and he said left morning of the game, arrived back 3am the next day. Um, he went to F- Wimbledon away in the FA Cup, thought, thought we were arriving late but was just in time left gas fan on double red lines walking up steps from concourse to seating at night game with cfc fans in full voice was something else um and i think he said uh, michael dubry scored the winner in that game uh, and it's his favorite non-final trophy uh, game ever Uh, another response he said uh, the Charlton game when they were getting the premier trophy for the first time managed to get a ticket last minute party all over Fulham Road for hours after randomly met work colleague that we continued to party in clubs until the early hours uh, in his Chelsea top Um, and then finally he said passing down a football tradition to your kids uh, he said five girls don't have the same love I did but they appreciate I have it and they'll remain Chelsea especially poignant after dad died. Um, yeah, just um, some great memories. And thank you for sending those, Darren, some some brilliant ones and some great photos as well. So check those out, I've done a retweet. Um, and um, yeah, um, that whole connection with family and that time that you spend at the game with them, and how much it means. And I think um, definitely, for, um, you know, I had the same where other family members might not follow football as much, but they appreciate the connection that you had through, um, through the beautiful game. Uh, So, yeah, I think that was um, just um, some wonderful, wonderful memories from from people um, with all sorts, whether they were old or new. And like I said, whether it was playing, watching, um, whether it was uh, igniting your love for the game or reaffirming it or reigniting it. um, It's been brilliant to see them all. And um, I think I might do something like this again and revisit it because the response has been brilliant. Hopefully it's um, been a trip down memory lane for all of you. And um, please keep sending your, those memories in to um, at Mitchell Gad or at a touchline rant uh, on Twitter because uh, uh, and that's at a touchline rant. Um, and, you know, I'll continue to, to respond to them. and um, We might read out a few more of them because the response has been brilliant. Anyway, hope that's cheered you all up. And, um yeah,
0: keep on sending your football memories. Hi, I'm Richard Gad's mum. And if you don't listen to the Touchline Rant podcast, he's going to be very, very annoyed, OK? <laughs> right, Luke here. For my section this week, I want to have a look at transfer gossip. Now, transfer rumours may be one of the worst things about football but it's also one of the things that we seem to not be able to get enough of um it it's i think it's because it's ingrained in us when we're young and we start watching football because th- there's a whole there's a couple of months in the summer where nothing's going on and everyone's a little bit mopey because there's no you can't watch your favorite team play so the only thing that we have to get us through is hearing about who we're going to sign and how that player is going to turn our fortunes around or improve us on a very good season you know it's going to be it, they they're going to they're going to be a fantastic signing and oh look at how good they're going to they're going to take us where we need them to be speaking as a manchester united fan right now i feel that these are uh, important stories because, to be quite honest, the signing of Bruno Fernandes in the January transfer window was more exciting than quite a few of the games that we've had in the last, well five years, if I'm being honest. So they do have, they, they do have their place. They are important. And they do help us as football fans to, it's, it's almost bragging rights, with transfers, If your team goes out and makes a marquee sign-in, it is bragging rights. Um, and it helps people. It, 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 it helps people believe that their team can be better than they were last year. Or if you had a successful season, it helps them believe that they can sustain that success. Um, there's one that took my... that caught my eye. I think it caught everyone's eye. Um, Harry Kane. Harry Kane... Uh, part-time footballer, part-time injury, uh, is, is rumoured, or was rumoured, to be the, the subject of a £200 million bid from the aforementioned Manchester United Football Club. It all seems to stem from a live, the Harry Kane, and everyone's doing a live, we've held off, but we will probably end up doing lives, um, he did a, an Instagram live with Jamie Redknapp, and he was the the subject of him staying at Spurs or or you know for throughout his career came up. And Harry Kane gave the answer, which pretty much every single professional footballer should give in that situation, is that he said that he's happy at Spurs. That is, you know, pretty much his boyhood club. Um, he supports Spurs. He's 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 a He's a Spurs, you know, legend, really, I would say. I'd go as far to say he's a legend already. But he said if he can't win trophies there, he may need to think about leaving. Now, I think that's only fair. Um, This obviously caused a little bit of uh, disharmony, I I think, in the Spurs camp. Um, And it's led to these rumours coming out. Now... Manchester United could sign him. Let's not beat around the bush. Two hundred million pound, which would make him a, uh, it make it a record transfer. It's not out of the realms for Manchester United. Their revenue allows it. They're not in danger of uh, of financial fair play restrictions. They make an absolute shit ton of money. The problem is, I just, I can't imagine Manchester United getting back to the negotiating table with Daniel Levy it's on record that the club have struggled to negotiate with Spurs before they don't like doing it Daniel Levy is a is a, a noted pain in the ass when it comes to negotiations and he will try and get every last penny that he can and rightly so that's his job um as the uh Decision which has now been rightly reversed to put non-playing staff and furlough will see that Daniel will show that Daniel Levy is his main job is making money and making sure that the club prosper. Now, if you've got Harry Kane, who's a British talent, who's a proven goal scorer, you're gonna want he's gonna be a record transfer, especially if he goes to another Premier League club. My argument, and as I've said. Just a minute ago. I am a Manchester United fan. My argument right now would be. If you're Harry Kane. And you're leaving Spurs. Because let's be brutally honest about it. If you want to win trophies. Spurs is not going to be the club for you. Are you really more guaranteed. To win them at Manchester United right now? You, you, pro, you It's more likely that you will. But is it. Is it as definite as, say, if you join Man City or if you, you know, or Liverpool or or if you eat suit abroad? You know, the the fact of the matter is you could make an argument that signing for Manchester United now in the hunt to win more trophies is not a leap up that it was for, say, Dimitar Berbatov um, or Michael Carrick. You know, it's it's okay, you might win a, a league cap. Um or maybe a Europa League. Because that's the other thing about this is if Harry Kane leaves Spurs, I mean, he's not he's not gonna get Champions League football straight away. So would he do it? I don't mean, think he is. I do think this is the most clickbaity story doing their hands. Um and I haven't seen one reputable journalist actually reporting it. I think it came in the day I think it was in the Daily Mail. Says it all. Um away from the that that story, um one that did make me chuckle a little bit, uh was Lovren, Dayan Lovryn, the uh, self titled greatest defender in the world. Uh, has been linked to Arsenal. Now Arsenal Football Club, they've had enough problems in defence. The last thing they need is Lovren. Imagine for a second that this is actually true and it does happen and it wouldn't surprise me at all if that transfer came off. Imagine having a back line of Sokratis, David Louise, and Lovren. I mean, the opposition would love that, surely. That is a calamity waiting to happen, those three. Um, and then just before I wrap up this section, I wanted to just uh, stay in London but move, move across to Chelsea. Where Here we go This is one day's worth of rumours Across all the The UK tabloids Um And broadsheets We're not exclusive Chelsea Were linked to Donna Rummer Manuel Neuer Coutinho Dries Mertens Samuel Umtiti Declan Rice Alex Tellas And Matt Target That's one day I mean Matt Target alone But that's one day's worth of rumours there. One day's worth of rumours for Chelsea. Imagine being a Chelsea fan and thinking, oh, wonder who we're, you're not here to be in with Harry Kane. Who are we being linked to? And you've got an absolute smorgasbord of, of players being linked to the club. Um, so silly season is upon us already. I mean, I don't understand why, considering that we have no idea if the league's going to even be finished at this point, let alone when the transfer window will open. God knows what's going to happen. I mean, some of these players, Dries Mertens, for example, his contract's coming up. Like, what's he going to do? Like, is he a free transfer? Does his contract get extended? Who knows? So why why are these papers selling transfer stories to us and transfer gossip? When we have no idea when the transfer window's actually going to open. Um I'll check back in on this in a couple of weeks because it's I do love a transfer b- rumor. I do enjoy it. And uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see how this plan like pans out now. Uh but yeah, any Spurs fans, don't at me. Apologies. Any Arsenal fans, don't at me. Apologies. Uh Chelsea fans, commiserations on uh, being linked with Matt Target.
2: Hi, this is the Blender Coach and you're listening to a Touchline Rant's latest podcast. Back of the net.
3: All right, gentlemen, gather round, please. Well, I might as well tell you now. You lot, you may all be internationals and have all won every domestic honour there is to be won under Don Revy. But as far as I'm concerned, the first thing you can do for me is to shuck all your medals and all your caps and all your pots and all your pans into the biggest dustbin you can find because you've never won any of them fairly. You did it all by bloody cheating. Hello everyone, Jordan Lloyd here, back with another film club to get you through this period. Of social distancing. So with former guest and friend of the podcast Michael Sheen returning to our screens last night in ITV drama quiz I thought it was the perfect opportunity to talk through his incredible portrayal of legendary manager Brian Clough in The Damned United. The Damned United was released in 2009 and covers Brian Clough's ill-fated tenure as Leeds United manager in 1974. After failing to qualify for the 74 World Cup, England manager Alf Ramsey is replaced by Don Revy highly successful manager of Leeds United. Revy's replacement at Leeds is Brian Clough, former manager of Derby County and fierce critic of Leeds because of their violent and physical style of play under Revy's leadership. Furthermore, Clough's longtime assistant, Peter Taylor, has not joined him. So, as with the two do- previous documentaries I suggested and what is now becoming a bit of a theme of mine, this film deals with humiliation and disappointment. Despite Clough having and uh, having accomplished an extraordinary amount through his long career. Here we see the desperation, the struggle, and the vulnerability of Clough as he tries to fix the Leeds side. He's been so ruthless about the past, and we really see heartbreak as he struggles without Taylor. What I love about this film is the fact that it brilliantly switches back and forth between Clough's doomed tenure at Leeds and his earlier experience transforming a hapless provincial club called Derby County into a respectful upper division contender. We get continued switching between happy and sad, between good and bad, between winning and losing, and this really brings the football realism to life for me, as this is what we experience every week with our teams that we support, and it's what makes football a global drama. What helps make this film so engaging is the absolutely incredible ensemble of great British character actors that support Sheen in this film. We have Con Meany as hero of West Yorkshire and bulldog of the old school, Don Revy, Timothy Spall playing Clough's loyal right hand man Peter Taylor. We've got Jim Broadbent as cigar chewing derby chairman Sam Longson and Stephen Graham as Leeds captain and leg breaker Billy Bremner. The brilliant thing about this film for me is how it takes the normal sporting film format of taking a squad of misfits and underachievers and turning them into champions and thinking you mighty ducked and slap shot style of film and flips it on its head. We actually have a hugely successful manager in Clough, taking over a squad who he used to win in, and yet he manages to alienate the players, the fans and the management, all in pretty spectacular style. And he finds himself out of work after a mere 44 days. During his first training session, he tells the lead stars that despite winning all the domestic honours there are to win, they can go and sling them all in the bin because they didn't win them fairly. they did it all by cheating. As repayment for his lovely heartwarming welcome speech, Clough is on the end of An Absolute Reducer by Billy Bremner. My favourite scene of the film um, is following his departure from Leeds after 44 days, um, where the club has only managed just one win, the players don't want him. Clough agrees to do a final interview with Yorkshire television. Unknown to Clough, he finds rival Don Revy there to confront him, bringing the two face-to-face at last. It's been built into this. Clough accuses Revy of being cold-hearted and dishonest, both as a man and a football manager, whilst Revy returns serve by calling Clough inflexible and egocentric. Clough then brings up um, the famous failure to shake his hand uh, following a 1968 FA Cup match. But Revy responds confused, claiming he didn't know who Clough was at the time. Despite proving Clough's claims um, right of Revy being dishonest um, because he is known for being a meticulous researcher of every opponent he faced, it also leaves Clough feeling a bit empty, a bit sad, and then begins the journey to make up with Peter Taylor. Anyway, that's enough from myself. Um, This is... One of, if not my favorite football film ever. So please do let me know your thoughts on it, any of your favorite bits, any bits I might have missed, and also suggest something else for us to look at in the future. As always, stay safe, keep washing your hands, and we shall see you soon.
0: Before I listen to a Touchline Ram podcast, I like a little bit of the bubble.
2: Hello, this is Reese from the Heavy Metal Podcast a podcast where we have conversations about all things mental health. And I thought today I would discuss my experience with FIFA Ultimate Team and how that negatively impacted my mental health. Um, Not only playing the game of FIFA, but um, the addictive gambling element of Ultimate Team as well. So first off, I don't play FIFA anymore. Um, I feel that my mental health is a lot better off for it. I'm not saying that's a solution for everyone because I know that some people are actually able to moderate um, the playing of games quite easily and it doesn't impact on their personal life. But me, I'm not one of those people uh, unfortunately I found that I can't really play games at all because I get too addicted to them and all of my waking hours tend to be uh, taken up with thinking when's the next time I can play the game how long can I play the game for this time etc cetera, etc cetera. so I already have that base addictive personality um, to be able to uh, you know get really easily addicted to games so I was on the on the back foot when I when I started playing FIFA. And that's aside from all of the annoying things that happen when you play FIFA. Anyway, let's get into it. So a few years ago, I used to live with um, a few friends of mine in a shared house. And we all loved playing FIFA. So we'd regularly have um, competitions like uh, back and forth in the living room. But we'd all also have our own... Um, Ultimate Team uh, games that we'd play online in our own rooms with TV screens that were way, way too fucking big for our bedrooms. But anyway, I digress. So I got introduced to Ultimate Team by a friend of mine that I was living with, and I was lured in by the. I loved uh, stickers when I was a kid, as did everyone. I'm sure. Football stickers, love trading them, love collecting them, all the rest of it. So there was already that entry point in to uh, Ultimate Team for me, and I loved playing FIFA in in a weird kind of way of torturing myself Um, (laughs) because I'd I'd love well everyone loves to win, but some of the rage inducing elements of the game uh, are particularly uh, tough to deal with at times. But yeah, I had Ultimate Team and I thought, right, I'm not going to spend any money on this game, any, any further money. I'm not going to pay EA any more money than I've already paid for the game, which is like 50 quid. So I start playing the game and I very uh, soon on realise that I want fucking Ronaldo. And I want Messi and I want, you know, whoever else and all of the shiny uh, new players that are being introduced to the game. So I started spending money opening virtual packs. And it's a slippery slope because you think, all right, I'm just going to spend, you know, even if you're spending a fiver, that's fucking mental to to spend on like virtual packs. And yeah, so I... I started opening more and more virtual packs and my mate packed Hernan Crespo, which was annoying, a legend card at the time. And I thought, well, I'm going to pack a legend if I carry on opening uh, packs. Didn't happen. Um, Annoyingly, I probably spent in 2014 or 15, I probably spent about 600 quid um, in the first... Few months of the game coming out, and I had really nothing to show for it. Um, it m- me and the boys in the house were also um, purchasing coins via online gold farmers, <laughs> and then having in the co- having the coins deposited into our account, so we could actually buy some decent players. But slippery slope from the gambling element alone i think it's a really really bad feature to have in a game that is primarily played i would say on the most part by younger kids um and if they have uh their parents credit card details on there and stuff then there they, there's you know you i've seen stories of of kids going nuts on downloading packs and stuff for fortnight and that as well as in parents are billed with like, you know, hundreds of pounds worth of stuff um, for what is just virtual, you know, you can't even put your hand to it. It's just money for nothing really. Um, But yeah, it's very easy to get in that addictive cycle of um, wanting to just continually, it's it's that thing of, it's, it's pure gambling, I think. It's that thing of, if I, the next pack will have X person in it or whatever, But the thing is, even if it does, ultimately that is meaningless because when you step away from the game, you turn your console off, you don't have any of that stuff. It's just EA capitalising upon people in human behaviour in the moment because if you actually stop to think about what you're actually doing uh, and you weren't swept up in that addiction, you would second-guess yourself. Like, it happened to me a few times. I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm spending, you know... Hundred, well, eventually hundreds on this game. Um, and that's aside so that impacted my mental health, and that I was caught up in this addiction. The addiction of playing the game and the addiction of wasting actual money downloading virtual bloody packs on Ultimate Team. Um, and that's aside from the other negative mental health aspect of me um spending so much time playing the game, all my waking hours basically from the time I came back from work till like three o'clock in the morning, be up for work seven o'clock the next day. Just couldn't shut off from that game. Um, I was I was heavily addicted to it. And it was impacting um, my, you know, friendships, the way I operated. It messed up my brain wiring because uh, I all I could think about was the game. And again, like I said, that's aside from the fact that there was... Um, actual rage-inducing elements of the game as well, where, you know, you'd lose, like, two in a row and then you'd let in some, like, really scruffy grass cutters and the keeper would get megged and stuff and people scoring from 50 yards out and all the rest of it. And it would re- I, it would send me mad. It would send me mad. I'd try to snap pads, throwing pads at TV screens, snap discs. I think that was... One of the times, I think it may have been the last time um, that I played FIFA. I actually snapped the disc, so I couldn't go back onto it, and I ended up selling my console like soon after. But I was <laughs> it was really bad. A life without FIFA for me now is uh, I'm a lot better off mentally. I'm a lot. Uh, I I mean I can't play any games just because of my addictive nature and i think that's why it's difficult and almost cruel is the wrong word but it's not ethical for ea to implement um, ultimate team for money in into their game i think i know that some countries have banned it um i think some european countries have banned it i think we should follow suit really there there, there are there are ways that they could implement it um without having the exchange of real money but i know ea ha- a lot of their income is based purely on the uh downloads and stuff so they'd have to change their business model but that's up for them anyway uh basically what i wanted to say is if you if you find you've got an unhealthy relationship with gaming anyway um try and look in and address that um, Can you moderate it? Do you have to be an all-or-nothing person like me? Uh, and the same goes for the downloading of packs and stuff. If it's actually bringing you more misery than it is joy um, and you find yourself, you know, that you've lost a lot of money, for example, then maybe try and get some help. There's like gambling away and things like that. But um, And the same with gaming addiction. But uh, yeah, I just want to say I feel your pain if you're there. I really do. And, yeah, for me, it was right for me to give up FIFA and certainly uh, start playing Ultimate Team. Maybe it could be for you too, but I wish you the very best. And, yeah, I hope that you manage to uh, moderate uh, your FIFA playing if it's becoming a problem for you, if you've recognized that it's becoming a problem for you. But, yeah. Listen to the Heavy Metal podcast. Thank you.
1: I'm Rachel Gad, and you're listening to a Touchline rant. <laughs> Football post
4: a Parker little. Football post a Parker little. Welcome to Football Post-Apocalypto. This is the place where we ask, what could football and the entire sporting landscape look like in 25 years time? What is the future of football? Let's explore what happens when Google and Amazon operate every aspect of the sport, from stadiums to franchises to streaming access. Have you ever thought about being at a virtual stadium? Will artificial intelligence become actually accessible to all? Have you wondered what it's like to become a player virtually? Let's go, football post-apocalypto. The football landscape has been shifted. Pray silence, please, for football post-apocalypto. This time, we roam through the realms of what to do for business, bracket football, in paying not only for their commodities, bracket players, but the entire business staff in the meantime. There's a crisis, there's a crisis, there's a football crisis everywhere. Let's start by the crisis of Barcelona. Six board members have quit recently are in in turmoil in turbulent times with economic bankruptcy knocking on the door. Hello? Who's there? Bankruptcy! Go away! We don't want you here! The Barcelona crisis is one of those typical examples of when worlds collide. You've got Rousson who is looking for transparency on player purchases and sales with a whole campaign to clean up Barcelona. It's all very suspicious when players themselves are also critical of the regime and have had run-ins with uh, Joseph Bartimu, as Messi has done already. So it is it's that Cantonar speech coming round again. It's the it's the business side of things killing the game off a little bit and the, the, the purity of football is, is really no more. As flies to wanton boys, we are for the gods, they kill us for the sport. Now, what Rousseau has actually said is someone has had their hand in the till, about 13 ventures and a PR company, and it's all getting a bit murky with the deals that are coming in, and there's no transparency either. At this stage, without money coming into the business, it's really tricky, and it's a case of damage limitation. Barcelona do not need this right now. This is one of those things to actually take a look into to see how this develops, because if the players are critical of the regime, what will actually happen? What happens when the players themselves go against the regime? Is this a case of biting the hand that feeds them? What are the implications to that? Players themselves begrudgingly had to take a 70% wage, wage cut to uh, keep keep everything ticking over for the time being, what will happen? Let's have a look at some connecting relationships within the game of football. First and foremost, we've got the fans relationship with the players. Then we've got the fans relationship with their team slash business. Then we look at the players, their relationship with business, the team. And then we've got the business side of things and their relationship with the players. We've also got the business relationship with the fans. These are all fundamental Relationships. We think of things as fans to the players or fans to the football club. There's nev- that we, we never usually think about anything. So they're just a, a couple of connecting relationships within the game that we love. Let's pop up to Newcastle to see what's going on. We can't mention business without mentioning Newcastle United and Mike Ashley as he sits on a sun lounger in Miami right now just waiting for the bids to come in for 300 million from Amanda Staveley who masterminded Sheikh Mansour's takeover of Man City in 2009 now this is big business this is huge implications for Newcastle United what does that mean for for Steve Bruce what will that mean if there is if that move is going to take hold what will happen without Mike Ashley it's still going to be a business it's just a different business it's just a diff- it's just a rebrand <laughs> Too furlong or not too furlong? That is the question. Now, what the hell would you do in this situation? If it was your company, if it was your business, right, how would you approach the situation? You know you're losing money, but what do you actually do with playing staff as well as staff that make the football club tick over? Now, this is a really tricky situation and it's easy for us to sit in this position and say no don't put anyone on furlong pay the wages in full but there's a different side to it we're not looking at football clubs are businesses and they need to turn over profit in order to do so now if you've got players who you're still paying and there's no money coming in what the hell do you actually do is there an in-between what is is there is there a good way of doing this or do you just take the hit and just keep paying people's wages, their livelihood. There is no answer right now. There is there is none. If you were to, to put everyone on furlong, then you would create a bit of a PR shitstorm and everyone would be against you. There's no real good way of doing it either way. I'm gonna ruin them and I don't know what will happen in the future from this. So that is football post-apocalypto.
3: So continuing with the negative narrative, join Bolton Wanderers. You hey know, nice move, good move. This player fails to make an impact at Bolton, only managed one goal after a solitary season. Another move, Blackburn, decent, you know. Started well, six goals, a bit of positivity. History repeated itself, though, as he again suffered a drop in form, managing three goals, which saw them relegated, and manager Graham Sooners blaming him for the club's down success.
0: Well, there you have it. Another week, another podcast in the bag. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for your support. It really means an awful lot to us. Uh, thank you very much to Reese from Heavy Mental Podcast for joining us this week as well. Um, look, there should be a few more special guests coming up in the next few weeks, which I'm extremely excited about. More news as and when I have it. Uh, thank you very much to our producers, bendy Geddig Media. And uh, that's all for now. Don't forget to follow us on social media at a touchline rant everywhere you get your media socially. And uh, we will see you again next week. Bye-bye.
4: The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting and distributing podcasts